Today's episode is brought to you by Chiropractic Mastery. Wouldn't it be great if your spinal problems and misalignments could correct themselves? And if you didn't need the same thing done to you every time you visit the office, best of all, what if your chiropractor could check and tell when your body didn't need any help that day at all? MCT chiropractors correct nervous system imbalances directly so the body is best able to correct the spinal misalignment on its own. This is done without twisting, popping, cracking, or causing pain. It's so honoring to the body that most people experience a tremendous amount of improvement very quickly, often without the soreness and stiffness that may follow a more traditional chiropractic adjustment. Your chiropractor can find out more by visiting chiropracticmastery.com and checking the seminars tab. And if you're looking for a chiropractor that will custom build the most painless yet effective chiropractic adjustment for you on every visit to the office, go to chiropracticmastery.com and click on the referrals tab. Welcome to the KiddoCast for Chiropractic Families, the world's first and only podcast committed to normalizing complementary and alternative care, particularly chiropractic care for children by sharing the experiences of the doctors in the trenches. In our time together, we will talk with pillars in the alternative healthcare world to give you the tools you'll need to make positive change in the health of your children today. Simply put, we're here to change the trajectory of modern healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Bronstein. I'm a pediatric and family chiropractor certified by the Academy Council of Chiropractic Pediatrics and the director of the Beacon Clinic of Chiropractic in beautiful Grover Beach, California. Now today, guys, you are in for a treat. We're going to be joined today by Dr. Mo Andrews, uh, chiropractor extraordinaire, neuroscience researcher, just an incredible human being. Um, I've known Mo for several years, but uh, I got to meet Mo in person, actually, for the first time in Amsterdam last August. I got to hear her speak on consciousness and had my mind completely blown. Mo is a special character. Uh, She's uh, definitely um, one of the most unique voices in chiropractic today, and she has a lot of really interesting things to say. In this podcast, we're going to talk about neuroscience. We're going to talk about consciousness. We're going to talk about all those esoteric things that uh, you guys are interested in. So whether you're a chiropractor or not, you're a parent or not, tune in because this is going to be an absolutely amazing, amazing interview. Just a little bit about Dr. Mo. Dr. Monique Andrews is a chiropractor, neuroscientist, and educator. As an international award-winning speaker, Dr. Mo is a master at making even the most difficult concepts accessible to all learners. Earlier in her career as a research scientist, Dr. Andrews published peer-reviewed papers in the fields of psychoneuroimmunology and the neurobiology of reward. Today, she's speaks internationally on topics such as the neurophysiology of subluxation and neurodevelopment of the pediatric patient. In addition to becoming passionate about all things neuro-related, Dr. Mo is deeply committed to easing the path for others. Last year with her wife, Dr. Tamara McIntyre, she launched the Prana Foundation, a not-profit organization whose mission is to cultivate an engaged, supportive community that fosters healing, growth, and fullest expression of a realized selves through professional and personal development. Few people possess the expertise, presence, and wisdom to make a meaningful impact on humanity. Dr. Mo is a rare gift to our profession. Guys, I really, really hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did giving it. And uh, without any further ado, here's Dr. Mo. All right, we are live. Guys, um, I'm here with Dr. Mo Andrews, one of my favorite chiropractors in the whole freaking world. Um, I'm so, so excited that we got Mo on. For those of you guys who don't know Mo, you need to know her because she's one of the movers and shakers in our profession. In our pre-chat, we were talking about possible topics to discuss here, and I let Dr. Mo know that, you know, our goal is to help normalize 
alternative care, but specifically chiropractic care for parents who either have been exposed to it a little, may have a kid that's under chiropractic care or has never even heard of chiropractic before. Um, and the biggest reason is part of this mission is because we have so many kids that are sick that are not getting access to the care that they need and chiropractors now more than ever are needed on the vanguard of healthcare to help these kids get better. So um, I wanted to welcome Dr. Mo with open arms. The last time we were together was uh, in Amsterdam, right Mo? Yeah, I think so. Axiom. God, that was such a good conference. Um, <laughs> your specific conversation with everybody with regards to consciousness was absolutely mind-blowing. And your, your kind of ongoing dialogue there um, in chiropractic circles about consciousness is absolutely mind-blowing as well. Um, we can talk a little bit about that as we go along. But at first, I just kind of want you to let everybody know who you are um, and kind of what brought you into chiropractic to begin with. Yeah, so I am a chiropractor and a neuroscientist. I speak publicly all over the world and teach on chiropractic neuroscience mostly, but also, you know, interesting things in the mind-body continuum. Um, before I became a chiropractor, I uh, was doing bench science in the field of neuroscience. And um, yeah, I actually followed my... Uh, wife to chiropractic school. She wasn't my wife then, but is now some 20 years later. Um, so yeah, I don't have one of those miracle, uh, uh, you know, chiropractic stories that brought me to school. I literally followed a girl and uh, was the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my story is fairly similar, I think, because I was involved in research before I became a chiropractor. I, I became a chiropractor because um, I was fascinated by the prospects of changing neurology without using surgery and drugs. And it wasn't until I became um, a licensed chiropractor that I truly started to dig in and understand all this stuff. And the reason that I started to get it was because I started to see it, right? When you're, when you're sort of studying neurology conceptually, um, it, it makes some sense, but it doesn't make a lot of sense until you actually see it in real life. And so um, being attracted to, you know, taking care of children was a direct result of me starting to understand a lot of the underlying neurology. Um, you know, I studied chiropractic neurology all through chiropractic college, um, you know, and I think in a lot of ways, um, I credit it with keeping me in the profession. Um, because it tickled my brain in a way that uh, I couldn't unlearn. So um, your story definitely resonates with me. Um, so I'm going to start off with a big loaded question, Mo. Um, uh -oh. And this is, it's in, in, in theme with the way that the KiddoCast runs. And, and that is why kids? Um, you know, in my practice, we, we see about 40 to 45% children. We're a family-based practice. Most of the kids that we see um, have neurodevelopmental issues. And, um, you know, we see crazy results. But coming from a neuroscientist, why kids, Mo? Why is it so important that chiropractors see children? Yeah, so, you know, from a purely neurodevelopmental perspective, um, the brain is still growing and evolving quite intensely for the first two years, you know, and we used to think up until about 50 years ago, we thought that scientists thought that you were born and that's it. The brain was cooked. You were done. And, uh, you know, it took a brilliant neuroscientist, Donald Hebb, <laughs> 
to come up with the concept of neuroplasticity in 1949. And he said, you know what, actually there continues to be plastic change. He's the one that was um, credited with the term neurons that fire together, wire together. And so that science has continued to evolve. And even just a few years ago, we learned that the neuronal systems in the brain actually continue to migrate and, and not just differentiate and evolve, but actually the brain is still growing intensely for those first two years. There's not a more critical window for a human being to get adjusted than during that time. That's why, kids. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I when I first started, you know, studying uh, neuroscience, um, one of the most transformative works that I read uh, was Norman Doidge's work um, mm. on neuroplasticity and going through the history of of this understanding that the brain changes over the course of your lifetime is just absolutely fascinating. Even going back, and for those of you guys who don't know what I'm talking about, the first book that Doidge wrote is called The Brain That Changes Itself. It's one of my favorite books of all time. I recommend that everybody read it. It's super accessible, even if you're not a chiropractor. Um, and incredibly Doidge. vitalistic, right? Like you I know, know, it's crazy, right? Book, and, and it feels very supportive of what we view in chiropractic as the body's ability to heal itself. It's, I it's love essential his reading for, I think, every single chiropractor because it's, it's, it's essential for us to know what we're manipulating, no pun intended, when we're messing with, a, with the nervous system, whether it's a pediatric nervous system or an adult nervous system, it doesn't matter. Plastic change is crazy. I mean, the most, I think, interesting chapter um, in that book was the chapter on Mike Merzenich, who's a uh, professor emeritus at uh, UC San Francisco. He did studies in the 1980s with, I believe, rhesus monkeys, where he cut the median nerve um, of these rhesus monkeys and looked at the somatotopic map in the brain to see what happened as a result of it. And his initial theory, if I'm remembering this correctly, was that that part of the brain that read information from the median nerve would just shut off. And what he found was that the brain doesn't waste real estate and actually the other lobes of the brain would fill in that missing information. Um, it's it just absolutely fascinating. Now we know that what we're doing in chiropractic is absolutely doing that. It's helping to not waste real estate in the neuraxis so that we can get that permanent plastic change that we're looking for, right? Yeah, it's amazing. And that led into a lot of the studies in things like phantom limb pain. And, you know, neurological real estate is, uh, it's prime real estate. And so it's not just like, oh, well, uh, there's no input, we'll stop using it. But, you know, just so that everybody's clear in case, you know, I know that we have some listeners watching maybe that aren't scientists or doctors and neuroplasticity basically refers to the brain's way to adapt and change to its environment. And, uh, and, it, and it does that in adaptive ways and it can do that in maladaptive ways. And so from a chiropractic perspective, if you're subluxated, the hypothesis is that the information coming in is distorted and that can create a maladaptive neuroplastic change. That's what we don't want. And that's why we as chiropractors want to get in there and adjust the spine to make sure that none of the messages coming in are distorted so that when that information gets processed and integrated in the brain, it creates adaptive changes, positive changes neuroplastically. So, so Mo, in your experience or with your reading, what do you think causes maladaptation in a child? I mean, I have my theories for it and there's stuff that I lecture on all the time when it comes to things like birth trauma, but I'm curious what you've uncovered. 
Yeah, you know, there's plenty of research that look at all three of those facets of distortion that we talk about in chiropractic, trauma, thoughts, and toxins, right? So there are studies that look at the impact of stress. So that's, you know, the thought, the thought T. Um, and they, there's an, a brilliant study that they did looking at the impact of stress neo, um, in utero. So they actually did functional MRI on uh, fetuses on moms in stressful situations. And what they found is that functional connectivity is disturbed. Mm -hmm. Same thing with toxins. You look at babies in a toxic environment, we see that neurodevelopment is challenged. Same thing with trauma, like TBIs. It has a very similar um, neuroinflammatory response. And so what we see is that neurodevelopment is compromised. That's not a small thing. If neurodevelopment is compromised, that compromised the evolution of the entire human being, right? Yeah. Um, it, we talk about this in our lectures in this office, uh, specifically as it pertains to things like neurodevelopmental uh, abilities or disabilities, I'm sorry, uh, because it, what we're finding is that uh, with each generation, um, childbirth becomes much more stressful. Pregnancy becomes more stressful. And a lot of this starts with those stressful pregnancies. Moms no longer have the support that they had even four or five generations ago in birth because it's being run by a patriarchal culture that's basically do as I say, not as I do. And we're seeing this pan out in stark relief right now because of COVID. I was just having a conversation with an L&D nurse who's a patient in my office who was talking about how they're firing pretty much all of their lactation consultants in the hospital because they're running out of money. So now just consider this for a second. A mom, and I know I'm preaching to the choir with you, Bo, but um, mom gets pregnant. She's being told by everybody that she knows, including her close family members, that it's impossible for her to birth vaginally, that birth is painful, it's stressful, you need to have an epidural and pitocin and cervidil and cytotec and all that other crap. So she has no confidence. She's stressed out during the entire pregnancy. Baby is feeding off mom's cortisol, specifically in the third trimester. So baby is stressed, running that sympathetic access all the way into the delivery, which leads to a whole host of immunological issues, not the least of which is baby's going to be massively TH2 dominant when he's born, yep. or she's born. Then postpartum, um, after having a birth without having a doula or any other support infrastructure in the hospital, except for maybe the husband, if you're lucky, now you don't have any postpartum support. You can't see your lactation consultant. You don't have a postpartum doula. You have no mental health support. Some moms are having issues with postpartum depression now because of all these issues. I mean, it was always a problem before, but now it's even worse. And we're starting to see the after effects of it, right? In my office, almost every newborn that I'm seeing right now is having issues with the, you know, big four, right? Which is called yeah. constipation, acid reflux and latching issues, right? And those are yeah. all a consequence of sympathetic overdominance or hyperarousal, yeah? Yeah, and you know, I think that it's, there's so much discourse and disagreement right now on things like masks and, you know, the physical impact of this pandemic when actually I think that we are going to see what turns out to be more devastating is the mental impact. And when I say mental, I don't, that's not separate from physiology, right? Because we know what stress does to the, the body. We know a lot more what stress does in the adult human body, but we're learning more and more the impact that it has on the child. And it literally does compromise neurodevelopment. We know that. And when development is compromised, that leads to a whole host of problems, physical problems, you know, issues with cognition, behavior. What happens is we then grow compromised human beings. 
and compromised human beings lead to compromised society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think when chiropractors talk about changing the world, um, we're not hyperbolizing by any stretch of the imagination. If we can even just make a small impact in reversing the effects of this stress, this hyper arousal that we're seeing in our newborns, then we'll absolutely make a change. You know, one of the stories that I talk about in my new patient workshop, um, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it bears repetition, is uh, the story of this, this older woman who I saw many, many years ago who uh, presented in my office with back, neck pain, headaches, you know, typical stuff that you see in an older population. Um, but she comes in with, you know, the list and the list is all the medications that she's taking. And, uh, you know, when I asked her, you know, does the stuff work? You know, she's, her response is, well, I don't know, you know, and I asked her, well, why are you taking it? You know, and her response is because my doctor told me to, you know, um, the, the fact is we have, a significant generational problem because we're passing down these values from you know our parents or grandparents to, to our children. And in my office, I, I carry that story with me everywhere because none of the kids that I take care of will end up like this if I can help it. Um, you know, I have a 12 year old daughter, I talk about her all the time. If we can avoid this, then we will start to see an improvement in this generation's health. Right now, we're going down a trajectory where that generation's health is gonna be much more um, detrimental or worse than, than ours and life expectancy is going to go down considerably. Um, so, you know, now that we know different, you know, we, we got to do different, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's going to take several generations to see the change. They did a study looking at, um, they did a, a sample of um, blood cord, umbilical cord uh, toxicity. And on average, they found 200 different toxins in umbilical cords, some of them from toxins that were banned 30 years ago. Yikes. So this, the toxic problem that we have in our world, right? This is not just something that's going to be eradicated very quickly. And uh, this is happening on, you know, a governmental policy level, but it's also happening in the home, right? Yeah. With the grandma that's on the medication and, or whoever, like this the toxic soup that we have created in our world today is going to create devastation for a long time. And so the cleaner we can get our kids, the faster, the sooner we can get them cleaner, then we need to be thinking generations down the road for the impact that we can have. You know, earlier today, I was having a conversation with Dr. Katina Manning, who, um, man, it was an awesome conversation. Katina is so empathic. Um, we were talking about what that looks like, you know, generationally, what that means for, for young kids. Um, she's, she's less of a neuroscientist than you are, Mo, but I think her message is still really relevant. And ultimately, that just means that we need to take radical steps to change this thing, because if we continue with the status quo, we're going to continue to see worsening problems. Um, I'm, I'm frequent to, to say that if people understood chiropractic on a basic scientific level, then everybody would see a chiropractor. Unfortunately, our message is very cloudy, so it's very difficult for us to communicate the importance of seeing um, kids at a very, very young age. But this is why, like, if you, if you don't hear any of my other podcast episodes, this is the one you need to pay attention to because we're talking about changing genetics here. The kids that are being born now are genetically dialed in to be sympathetic dominant. They're hyper aroused. That's why we're seeing more autistic children, more sensory processing kids um, with chronic like viral infections. We're seeing more pandas kids and pans kids. It's, it's, it's becoming overwhelming. It's not just a matter of us looking at the statistics and seeing more patterns. It's because it's becoming more 
prevalent. And if it's becoming more prevalent, we have two choices. We either ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist, or we actually address it head on and try to fix these problems. Clearly for a lot of these kids, and I talk about censored kids a lot because that's a huge bulk of my practice. Yeah. Clearly there isn't a lot of help that they're getting in the medical community. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Number one, a lot of medical doctors don't acknowledge that a lot of these symptoms exist. I've heard patients on numerous occasions come to me and tell me that their pediatrician or the pediatric neurologist has said, well, you know what, that's just life. You're just gonna have to deal with it. Um, and even if they do acknowledge it, there isn't a lot of really good quote unquote treatment options because they're trying to address these symptoms from the outside in as opposed to the inside out, right? Yeah, they, they, here's the problem. And it's not, I'm not gonna say it's their fault, it's their paradigm. Because here's the thing, they are treating things like these developmental disorders like they're hardwired. Now here's the thing, if we think about, let's just take autism for example. 50 years ago, it was one in 500. 10 years ago, it was one in 100. Now we're somewhere between one and 30 or 40. Look, that has accelerated at such a rate that it can't be owing to genetic factors. It's actually epigenetic. Right. And so all we need, you know, the, if you, the body can only function as healthy as its environment is, and the brain can only function as healthy as the body. So if you're in a toxic environment, that means the body's toxic, that means the brain's toxic. Massive amount of inflammation. And that's where we see all of these developmental orders come from, right? High loads of toxicity, GI dysfunction, and neuroinflammation. Yeah. And all the data points to that. And so the medical model is just, they're so used to saying, look, this is hardwired. That's the way they look at the body. They break it up into parts. Only there's no way that this can be owing to genetic factors, even though like they found some genes that was like, these are autism genes. What the problem is less than a fraction of 1% of autistic kids have these genes. So it's, you know, it's not, it's inconsequential. Yeah, it's it's a tough nut to crack. Uh, Katina and I were talking about this earlier too, about educating you know our patients because um, you know half of our practice is just having conversations and helping parents come to these conclusions that they already have in their minds. They just need somebody to handhold them through the process. Um, I heard Doctor um, Bruce Lipton speak about. 11 or 12 years ago at Lyceum in New Zealand, and he talks about how human civilization goes through these epochs where pendulum swings really wide from extreme to extreme. Um, and we're at this, this pendulum swing right now in the zeitgeist where um, parents and healthcare consumers are actively looking for solutions from vitalistic and holistic providers because they've lost faith in the medical uh, the medical field you know and I, I again i said this before but it bears repetition i'm not going to sit here and trash medicine because god knows if it wasn't for medicine i probably wouldn't be here right now but we have to understand and recognize that medicine is designed to put out house fires and once the house fire is out you can't just keep spraying hoses on it you have to rebuild and that's where vitalism comes from that's where chiropractic has been you know kind of rooted for 125 years so um okay i, I want to shift gears a little bit mo because uh we we talked at the very beginning of our conversation about consciousness and um i i know that you've got a lot to say about this so i would love for you to kind of give our listeners a primer on some of the stuff that you've been reading and discussing over the past several years and see if we can't make a conversation out of it. Sure. Yeah. Um, I love that analogy of the house fire, by the way. Um, 
Yeah, so here's what we know from the current science today. And that is there are particular parts of your brain that are impacted by the chiropractic adjustment. And one of those areas in particular is called the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is uniquely differentiated in human beings. In fact, humans have the largest, most evolved prefrontal cortex. And our prefrontal cortex is kind of what allows us to have conscious awareness. It's what allows us to plan, to dream. It's what makes us uniquely human. Now, it is believed that that's also where consciousness resides. And now consciousness has been considered the hard problem of science for a long time. In fact, neuroscientists stayed away from studying consciousness because it's this weird nebulous thing and we still don't have a good handle on it. And, uh, but the more we learn, we know that there are certain parts of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, the anterior cingulate cortex, the insula that actually drive our human experience, this conscious awareness that we have of self, this movie that's always playing in our heads, right? And so now we know through electrophysiological studies, metabolic studies, that when you adjust the spine, you actually create adaptive changes in the brain in those very same areas. And so my argument is this, and that is, I, like, I love that chiropractic helps back and neck pain. Like, you know, people come to chiropractors very often because they have pain, but it's, it's a great effect that we have. But the primary purpose is really creating adaptive change in neurology. Now, we now know that that can happen in the areas where consciousness resides. So my area is that maybe when you're getting adjusted, you're not just helping with back and neck pain, which is great, but maybe you're also helping elevate the consciousness of humanity. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a pretty big um, argument for chiropractic, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you know, your conversation about the prefrontal cortex is not falling on deaf ears because, uh, you know, we know, especially with the kids that I'm taking care of in my clinic, that prefrontal cortex integration is is compromised. Um, and a lot of, you know, the technique systems that I use, the science that I use uh, comes from um, my friend Mike Hall, who talks about this stuff a lot in his coursework. Um, you know, and for those of you guys who don't know Mike, um, he's done a ton of research with Francis Murphy on things like cervical curves in your neck, um, forward head posture, and how that affects cerebellar um, feed forward activation to the prefrontal cortex, which is why things like postural changes can affect cognition. Um, and consequently, why chiropractic works so well for children with developmental delays. You know, we, we turn those parts on. Um, I'd love to see somebody like Heidi, you know, hop on and do a functional MRI study with prefrontal cortex activation after an adjustment. I, I have a feeling that she's working on it, but it just hasn't come out yet. Um, especially in light of the study that she published a few years ago um, on prefrontal cortex activation with somatosensory evoke potentials. Um, anyway, and then, going on. You know there's brilliant research that came out of Japan several years ago as well, looking at um, metabolic changes in the brain and the ability to reduce um, salivary amylase, which is an indicator of cortisol, right? So that's a, as another method of actually reducing that stress response. And, and prefrontal cortex is not just cognition and personality and executive function. The prefrontal cortex that's output through the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, anterior cingulate, actually help to dampen pain. 
It can modulate pain output. It can modulate output from the amygdala, which is what drives that whole fear response. So the, you know, the impact is so widespread throughout the whole body that, um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I could just talk about that all the time. I think that in a chiropractic office, if you can become effective at communicating the impact on the neurology, you could radically change what your practice looks like and what our communities and our society looks like. Everybody needs to know that chiropractic impacts the brain in a positive way. Yeah. Everybody knows the brain controls every cell, organ, and tissue in the body. Why talk about anything else? Yeah, you know, and I, I think it's important for us to really harp on this point because there's really, really good quality research that's shown this now. In the past 10 years, especially, a lot of it, like I said, has come out of Heidi's lab in New Zealand, but we've seen, you know, crazy research in neuroscience journals that have nothing to do with chiropractic, which supports a lot of these, you know, previous theories. Um, and so, you know, when chiropractic detractors, you know, call out chiropractors for not having any, you know, randomized control trials. You know, my response as a researcher, as a former researcher, is look at the freaking bench science, man. I mean, the bench science, it helps us understand the underlying mechanisms so that we don't necessarily need gold standard, quote unquote, gold standard randomized control trials to see whether or not an adjustment helps improve mood or improve cognition or improves whatever, you know. Um, you know, yeah, I would say practice based research is something something that we need to focus more on. And also it's time for chiropractors and their communities to start supporting chiropractic research. I mean, you know, we're never going to create the deluge of research that exists in big pharma and medicine, uh, but we can do more by supporting, you know, these organizations that do chiropractic research. Yeah, I think that's important. We do have listeners who are chiropractors who share this with their, their patients as well. And I think it's important for us to at least stop and communicate those organizations that do help the people that we support. The Foundation for uh, Vertebral Subluxation Research is very important. The Australian Spinal Research Foundation is really important. Um, contributing to Heidi's lab is really important. And we, we do all of the above in my clinic because we find it very important. Um, you know, I'm sitting on like, two dozen case reports that I need to publish that I just can't find the time right now. It's so hard for me to balance the difference between like family life and chiropractic and publishing research. But I think we as chiropractors also need to do a better job of doing past practice-based work. You know, the ICPA is doing a fantastic job of doing PBRNs right now. Um, we've contributed to four PBRNs, uh, practice-based research network studies um, ourselves in this clinic. Um, and I, I think it's important to note that most of these studies that have come out of the ICPA have looked at quality specifically, which are really valid um, outcome measures to determine whether or not chiropractic work quality is essentially or quality adjusted life years, I think is what they stand for, mm -hmm. which is basically quality of life metrics. And yep. across the board, quality is improved as a result of chiropractic care. It's something that we can't understate. So even if it's just a matter of fixing low back and neck pain or headaches, like you talked about before, fine. But, you know, as I frequently talked about in past podcasts, going to the chiropractor for back pain is like going to the gas station for the coffee. It completely misses <laughs> the underlying sort of mechanisms in play here. And it almost cheapens the types of results that we're getting with, um, with, with cognitive improvement. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard the similar meme I heard was uh, going to the chiropractor f and just getting treated for back pain is like going to rob a bank and only stealing pens. <laughs> That's about right. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know. It, it, when I when I get patients that come in that have back and neck pain, you know, 
part of me rejoices because back and neck pain is so easy, right? I, and it, it, it's not to say that I don't like taking care of these more complicated neuro cases because, you know, I'm here for a purpose. You know, I, I recognize the fact that I attract the types of patients that I'm ready for in my clinic, but it would be so much easier just to be a back and neck pain guy. <laughs> <laughs> because back and neck pain is so easy in a chiropractic clinic. That being said, you know, our kids, they, they need us. They need us in the worst way because of what Mo and I described at the very beginning of this podcast. Um, Mo, as a neuroscientist, I would love for you to chime in on subluxation. Um, you know, Hoffman and I talk about this a lot when we teach tonal peds in MC2. But um, coming from the perspective of a scientist, I would love for you to describe or explain what a subluxation is in neurological terminology. Yeah, so, you know, there are a lot of different theories around about subluxation. And obviously, I prefer the neurological model. And a lot of chiropractic is focused on, you know, sort of local impact histochemically of subluxation in the spine. But it's so much more far-reaching of that. I have a whole lecture on neurology of subluxation that I do in my Dr. Monos program. But basically, this is what we know from current science. And that is when there is, dis and I'm going to say it's a distortion in the spine, because I don't believe that necessarily has to be a biomechanical distortion. When there is a distortion in the spine, that creates a distortion in the messages in the nervous system. And the least complicated way I can explain that is if you have garbage in, you're going to have garbage out. And so that any distortion creates a whole downstream of effects. Those can be mechanical, chemical, uh, and energetic. And this is something that, you know, we as chiropractors sometimes get some, um, riding for, which is when we start to talk about the bioenergetic model, but actually, you know, from a purely quantum physics standpoint, we are energetic beings. We emit electromagnetic uh, fields and we can't disregard the impact that subluxation has. Number one, we know a lot about the impact subluxation has on the individual, but what about the people around it? If we looked at studies looking at HRV and heart rate coherence, um, and coherence of the heart and heart rate variability, what we see is that when you, they did studies where they looked at people who were at a, had a high level of coherence in their heart or high level coherence in their body, their being, and it impacts coherence of the people around them. So you being unsubluxated, functioning at a higher rate of coherence in your being actually doesn't just raise your energy, doesn't just raise your physiological status, it raises the physiological status of the people around you. And that's just you, not, that's not just dispensa. That's actual quantum physics science. Yeah, how do you, how do you account for that scientifically? Because um, experientially, um, I, I concur, you know, I'm a tonal guy, right? And tonal work is based in quantum work. Um, and so I do see um, vibrational changes in my community as a whole when I'm taking care of public. That's why I do, I adjust in an open setting and I, I volume adjust, meaning I'll have, I mean, not in the age of COVID right now, but under normal circumstances, we want lots of people in the office at the same time because yeah. they tend to all do better. Consequently, in MC2, Hoffman talks about this all the time. He says, you cannot take care of your people if you are not taking care of yourself first, because your vibration will affect the patients on the table. 
Um, but again, from a scientific perspective, you know, in less esoteric terms, how, how do you account for this? Yeah, and so what I'm going to say to you is that not everything can be explained in randomized control studies in a purely gold standard scientific model. And just because, you know, there's this saying in science that if you can't quantify it, it doesn't have value. Massively disagree. There are lots of things in our lives we can't quantify that probably have the most value ever, right? Love, freedom, just use two massive examples. Here's the thing, and science, gold standard science has done this for a long time and saying, well, if you can't measure it, then they just dismiss it. And you know what? You can't negate it. In fact, if for every scientific study that you show proving one thing, you can show one proving the opposite. Science is not definitive. Science is continually evolving. And right now we can't measure all of the metaphysical things that we make claims about in chiropractic, but that does not negate its existence. And in fact, that's the whole purpose of, of philosophy is to evolve our science so that we can have a conversation about it. And then if you want to dive into quantum physics, double slit experiments, things like that, that are just like the average person doesn't even know anything about. It's like the mere act of you, you know, observing something changes it. Like we cannot explain everything in, in these, in a box. And right now, science is the prevailing language that we're using. It's going to look very different. Maybe in, not in our lifetimes, but it's going to look very different. Yeah. What you're describing is scientism. And that's a huge problem that we have in the biomedical field because yeah. we, we hang our hats on these gold standard randomized control trials, which take out of account the human experience, right? Um, you cannot dilute and remove all the dependent variables and experiment that exactly replicates what a human experience is. And that's why chiropractic is so profound and powerful because it does account for the human experience, right? It does account for all these other, you know, environmental changes that our patients are encountering at any given time. It's not a matter of just, you know, giving them a pill, looking at the variables and seeing what changes yeah. biochemically, right? Well, you know, what I would love to see is every single chiropractor on the planet, at least if they're not using objective measures in their practice, at least use like an, uh, an, an assessment out outcome tool or screen that is, um, they're called OATS, like an SF36 or something like that to look at quality of life so that you can say, because you know what? 90% of people that walk into a chiropractic office is because of pain. This is the data we know. 70% is low back pain. Yeah. We now know that literally there's a study, Epgarian, I think from 2012 did a study looking at the impact of chronic pain on cortical mass. Your brain mass shrinks when you're in chronic pain. Okay. Yeah. The areas that are impacted by the adjustment are those areas. If you're doing nothing else, do a quality of life because it's going to allow you to educate your patients on a much grander scale. And yeah. we can use them in PBRNs. Yeah. If every chiropractor started doing quality of life assessments, which are which are like validated objective tools to determine the impact that you're having on the quality of life, I think it would radically change the face of chiropractic. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up uh, because in spite of uh, you know just the PBRNs that we're doing through the ICPA, there isn't really a lot of that 
um, in, in our communities. We, we do use scans as outcome measures, which I think are really valuable, especially heart rate variability. I think it's probably the most potent tool that I have at my disposal to really see what's going on, uh, how things are summating neurologically. Um, in the absence of having like an SSEP or something a lot more profound in my clinic or QEEG, um, but, uh, I'm a huge fan of HRV. I, if I was in practice today and I'm not, and my wife is in practice, she uses HRV. I would definitely be evaluating heart rate variability. I think it's one of the most elegant tools we have mm -hmm. to actually look at the autonomic nervous system. And, you know, it's something that's been used in conventional science for 20 years. They've accepted heart rate variability as a measure of overall health. And yeah. chiropractors are sort of just diving into that. But yeah, the longer I practice, the more um, of an emphasis I put on HRV in my clinic. It's still a little bit tough to get a valuable um, or valid HRV on a child, um, but I'm getting them accurately in kids about four and up now, which I think yeah. is really, really valuable. Um, but I'm also getting better as a chiropractor the more I study HRV. One of the things that I found when I first started doing it is that I would get hypervigilant or hyperaroused kids in my clinic and I would do too much, right? And we'd blow them out neurologically and we'd be able to tell that on HRV because their HRVs would, would crap out, right? All of their other structural neurological yeah. metrics like their thermal and EMG would improve, but their HRV would completely bottom out, which means that we're not getting the results that we're looking for. This is also consequently why if you're a chiropractor and you're really focusing on external symptoms like back pain and neck pain, you're missing that big picture because you could be perceptually fixing, quote unquote, fixing those symptoms at the expense of the autonomics, right? And if you're dysautonomic, like, I mean, who cares, right? Who cares yeah, if you have we, no back pain? We need to be using objective measures and we need to look at, you know, it's something, it's a claim we've made for a long time as chiropractors mm -hmm. that we're impacting the nervous system. Well, act, let's take a look. And I think that there's nothing more um, demonstrative today that's available to all chiropractors that's HRV. You know, I had an experience with HRV myself, which um, I, I think, you know, I'd like to share at this point. I, um, you know, when I first got into private practice, I had just gotten back from Geneva. Um, I was in a bad space mentally because, you know, I was out of, pri I was out of college, you know, like life got real, really quickly, you know, yeah. and, you know, luckily I studied with a chiropractor who was using a lot of the science. I did my own HRV and to this date, my HRV when I started in, in private practice is the worst HRV I've ever seen. It was bad. And I didn't recognize the fact that I was creating all of these own problems for myself that was negatively impacting my health. It didn't occur to me that it was a problem until I had a health crisis, you know, you know, years in the practice. Once I started having these symptoms, I recognized the fact that I was driving myself into the ground. And, you know, as my wife is very frequent to remind me, I'm no good to my, I'm no good to my patients if I'm sick or I'm dead. You know, chiropractors are notoriously bad at taking care of themselves. And the reason is we put everybody else first instead of putting ourselves first. So HRV really put a, um, shown a light on that for me so that I knew that I'd be able to take care of myself the way that I care for my patients. I mean, and now with, with Apple watches, I can kind of track my HRV in a less robust way, but I can still kind of track it as an average to see what I'm doing throughout my day and my week. And it helps me kind of dial things down. If I need to tweak my routine, my nutrition or tweak my, my sleep or even see my chiropractor more frequently, um, I'm, I'm able to do that, you know? I recommend, um, like you, there are personal HRV devices that people can get now. And I, uh, 
coach some chiropractors. And one of the things that I do is actually have them monitor their HRV every morning to look at what's the physiological state, because actually it informs how much you can or cannot drive yourself that day. Mm-hmm. You know what, like, let's say that you uh, like to work out at a certain level or whatever it is, you can look at, take your reading in the morning and have a really good sense of how hard can I push today? Because what it does is it gives you a, a, a reading, a biofeedback of your physiological state. I mean, we could all be looking, I look at my HRV every day. Mm-hmm. How hard am I going to push today? Mm-hmm. And you know what? It doesn't lie. Yeah. And then you can adjust your workout, your, your, you know, my, my meditation practice These different types of meditation are going to impact your body in different ways. There's a lot of different things that you can do, but it's an objective tool that gives you like current live state feedback on your neurology. It's wonderful. And I don't own any stock in any HRV company. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I talk about (laughs) HRV all the time too. Um, You know, we, we use CLAs tech in our clinic um proudly you know i i love fletcher and i really like what he's doing i appreciate what he's doing for for chiropractic as a whole on the clinical basis um but i i think what i'd really like to talk about last before we round out is is segue from hrv and that's adaptability because at the end of the day parents if you're listening if you didn't remember anything from dr mo and our, our time together it's that chiropractic is about improving adaptability to the environment um, you know, adaptability of stress and adaptability of the trauma. And so in that way, chiropractic doesn't treat anything. It just removes obstacles so that your nervous system can work unfettered. And when your nervous system is working unfettered, your health is the best that it possibly can be. That's why we tend to see those symptoms diminish over time with patients, regardless of what they are, back pain or even autism symptoms, because the mechanisms are in play are basically all the same. It's, it's, it's um, improving adaptability. So um, I'd love for you to speak to that very briefly before we, we finish up to, so we can. Yeah, we, sure. Uh, There's yeah. a, you know, um, I used to use this quote all the time before the WHO went into disrepute, <laughs> but I'll give it to you anyway. They, they defined health as your ability to adapt to an ever-changing environment. And, and actually that, I do think that is a great definition of health. And my very good, brilliant friend, Dr. Amy Haas, um, I use this quote all the time too. She said, your ability to adapt to your problem is more important than the problem. And I, I can't think of a better way to sum it up, right? And we know that our ability to adapt, which really is a measure of our resiliency, is a function of your nervous system. And, you know, we were just talking about HRV. HRV, one of the things we believe is that it is an indication of adaptability. Because when you look at the sympathetic versus the parasympathetic nervous system, you know, one is kind of like a gas pedal and one is kind of like a brake. And it's not like we want those to go up and down. We want your body to be able to adapt and respond to its environment. Sometimes we need a more sympathetic state. Sometimes we want more parasympathetic. And adaptation is how deftly you can switch from one to the other. And from a chiropractic standpoint, I believe that's one of the greatest influences we can have is our ability to influence the, the brain's ability, the body's ability, your health to adapt. Mm. Yeah, um, thank you for that. 
Thank you for that. It's a good take home message for pretty much all of our parents. It's, uh, you know, even more of a reason for our parents, um, even though they're, we're talking about, you know, kids in this podcast, make sure our parents take care of themselves as well, because parents adaptability is directly proportional to how well their kids are going to adapt to the environment as well. So um, Dr. Mo, thank you. You're awesome. I, I really appreciated this conversation. I always appreciate our conversations and our dialogues back and forth. I know our listeners are going to get a ton of value out of this, this convo. Um, for any chiropractors who are listening, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, they can uh, reach out either through um, my foundation, which is the Prana Foundation. And there's a free community website that basically is a resource for chiropractors. Anybody can join. That's the Prana Foundation on Facebook. Uh, they can also check out uh, my work through Dr. Monos, D-R-M-O-K-N-O-W-S.com, drmonos.com. There you have it, guys. Thank you so much, Dr. Mo. I really appreciate it. And I hope I get to see you again soon when this whole COVID thing blows over. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you. Bye.